Alrighty, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3. For the past couple of weeks, in our study here in uh, Romans in chapter 2, Paul had shifted from speaking to the Roman church in its entirety, and then he has now switched over to just speaking to the Jews in the church. And the reason for that is because many of them, if you remember, have been confused as far as their relationship with God is concerned. Many felt that because they were God's chosen people, they were automatically the beneficiaries of basically every spiritual blessing there could be. Others went beyond that and even felt, as we looked at last week, and even felt that because they were circumcised as per the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, they were automatically heaven-bound. Matter of fact, I gave you a few quotes, but one of those quotes was a Jewish book that said, Abraham sits before the gates of hell and does not allow that any circumcised Israelite should enter there. Those are the kinds of things these people were taught. Obviously not necessarily from Scripture. They would hold on to a lot of tradition. Well, not only did they carry with it, that did a a theological problem, but Paul also describes in chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, was what I would call an attitudinal problem. You see, the Jews were self-righteous. They believed that they were spiritually superior to the Gentiles. Paul said in in verse 17, they called themselves Jews, and that of course recognizes their their religious heritage. It's also saying how we are distinct from every other people group in the world. He talked about how the Jews relied on the law, but what that meant was they relied on their possession of the law They relied on the fact that God gave it to no other nation. He gave it to us beating our chest. He gave it to us. Thirdly, he literally says they just bragged about their relationship with God. God chose us over everybody else. And so with this this arrogance about them, Paul said in verses 19 and 20 that these same Jews would actually call themselves a guide for the blind. They would call themselves a light for the darkness. A teacher, he says, of of the foolish. A teacher, an an instructor of infants. This is how they they would look at themselves in this uppity attitude. And by the way, the blind, the darkness, the foolish, the infants, those were who they considered the Gentiles. See? Well, knowing the actual lifestyle of these Jews, as you know, Paul was a Jew, and Paul used to be just like them before he came to faith in Christ. He knows how they're thinking. He knows how they live. He decides to absolutely call out their hypocrisy in verses 21 through 23, basically saying what you teach and how you live are two different things. He says, whenever you're not teaching the principles to others, you're basically just breaking them. You stand up and say, we're this, we're this, I hold to this, I'm teaching this, and then you turn around and you're living life diametrically opposed to everything you stand for. 
Matter of fact, in verse 24, he literally said, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Man, that's harsh. Because of you. They call themselves a teacher of the Gentiles. They think they're better, spiritually superior to the Gentiles, and yet Paul says, God is blasphemed amongst them because of you. That, that is how hypocritical they were. Well, if that wasn't enough for these Jews to swallow and to, to deal with, Paul goes directly to another area that they needed correction in, and that was on the, the position of the theology of circumcision. Okay? And here lies that theological problem that I mentioned a couple minutes ago. Okay? They thought that physical circumcision made them right with God. Okay? And I read before just that quote about from the Jews of like, Abraham stands before and won't even allow anybody to enter hell who has been physically circumcised. They believed that made them right with God. And so not only were they, they obviously still struggling to let go of the Mosaic law, but they had a total misunderstanding of circumcision, even as a Jew, okay? Like many things in the law, folks, and, 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 and under the old covenant, circumcision was never meant to be the end all. Yes, physical circumcision was a command of God to the men, and it was a sign of the covenant with him. Absolutely. But it was never going to make you holy. Say, Matter of fact, physical circumcision, Paul says, has no spiritual value in itself. Look at what he said in verses 25 and 26. He said, circumcision has value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Now listen, now he flips the coin. Now listen to what he says. If those who are not circumcised, yep, folks, that's the Gentiles. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? <laughs> Imagine what that caused these Jews to think. Circumcision did not somehow free them from the law and give them a free ride. It actually made them accountable to the law. Just because you're circumcised doesn't matter unless you obey the law, he says. He says, now you're accountable to the law. And if that wasn't enough, Paul said in verses 26, but now he also says in verse 27 that the uncircumcised Gentile who obeys the law Okay, is actually a rebuke to you Jews who don't obey the law even though you're circumcised. Okay? In other words, that's saying it is possible for the Gentile, the uncircumcised Gentile, to be more pleasing to God than the circumcised Jew. Well, that had to rock their world just a little bit. So he's digging into them a little bit here. Don't just think because this was done, we're good. No, it's not it, he says. The problem that many Jews never figured out was that God wanted their hearts. People still today struggle with that. God wants your heart. Look what he said in verses 28 and 29. He says, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. 
In other words, just because you're a descendant of Abraham, just because you, you hold to the commands of the law, he says, that does not make you a Jew. He says, nor is circumcision merely outward or physical, okay? He says, no, a man is a Jew. I would say that's meaning a true Jew, if you will. If he is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart, he says it's by the Spirit, it's not by the written law, or it's not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, that's not what we desire, he says, but it is from God. So, so no different really than millions of people today, the Jews thought that some external act like circumcision or whatever they wanted to do was enough to have a relationship with God. Because I did this or I do this, I have this relationship with God. And Paul steps up and he says, no, no, you don't. Verse 29 says it must be internal. It must be something of the heart, see, And, of course, they should have known this, by the way, because having a circumcised heart was actually mentioned in the law twice, actually, in Deuteronomy and at least two times in Jeremiah. So it wasn't like they they should have been shocked and amazed at this, okay? They should have known this. But from the first century, when this was written, all the way until today, folks, there are people who believe that some kind of external ritual will give them eternal life. Whatever that, and there, trust me, there are thousands of rituals, but it's all external. But millions of people believe that something external will give them eternal life. But it's all a lie. It's a lie. You can be religious, as, do whatever you want. You can do this 55 million times if you want. That doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. God is not interested in ritual. He says here he wants our hearts, right? He wants your heart. And of course, as we know, that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, at this point, we're going to move into chapter 3, where as you can see, Paul knows that what he just got through talking about in chapter 2, he knows that's going to raise some questions. He knows some of the heads of the Jews are going to go, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Right? He knows that's going to take place. Okay? And reason being, as I mentioned just a couple of weeks ago, these Jews felt they had spiritual security because of who they were. Right? They felt their heavenly destiny, their heavenly destiny was guaranteed. We're Jews. Right? Well, Paul comes along now, and he just gets through writing, and he he basically says, look it, just because you're a descendant of Abraham, just because you are possessors of the law, and now at the very end there of chapter 2, just because you were physically circumcised does not somehow right the wrong, giving you an eternal home in the kingdom of God. Knowing this, we begin chapter 3 with Paul assuming their questions, okay? Paul, based on what he just got through writing, he's assuming they're going to have certain questions when they read that. 
And then, so what he's going to do, Paul is going to give the question. I know you, this is your question, and then he's going to give the answer, okay? So, to no surprise, verse 1 asks the all-important question that we kind of all know was coming, okay? So, remember what I just got through talking about there in chapter 2? You spent the last 10 minutes on? Now, what does Paul say in verse 1? Thinking about what these Jews are going to say, he says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Now, if you, you kind of, that's going to be a question. After what Paul just got through saying, you know that they're, they're thinking that. And that's why Paul throws this out. Okay? He knows this is going through their mind after just getting through reading chapter 2. So, so let's be honest here. If, 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 uh, if you were those Jews living in the first century, knowing what they were taught, knowing some of the traditions that they were given, right? You'd have to admit in their minds, reading this letter thus far, that's a legitimate question. Knowing what they believe, knowing what they were taught, that's a legitimate question to them. Are you saying, Paul, that it's worthless? What, what's, what's the point? Because to them it means everything, doesn't it? It means everything. Their entire life revolves on the fact, I'm Abraham's descendants, I'm a Jew, I have the law, I'm in circumcised. And Paul just basically denounced all of that as far as their spiritual security. Well, then what's, what's my benefit? That's the question. Now, if you or I, if you or I were to answer the question, if you and I answer the question just based on Jewish history, okay, was there an advantage on being a Jew? Well, I'm going to answer that question by giving, uh, giving you some history Okay, as I was in this week, as I was getting ready to, to go through all this, I actually found someone who did the work for me, <laughs> and I read it, and I'm going, wow, they did a great job. So I'm going to quote somebody else's work here. This is not mine, but I read it, so it's legit. And, uh, but it gives us a little bit of history. So you and I can say, really, is there an advantage to being a Jew? Listen up. This is a very long quote, Okay. In spite of the reason that the Jews are such a noble strain of humanity and chosen by God, their history has been a saga of slavery, hardship, warfare, persecution, slander, captivity, dispersion, and humiliation. They were menial slaves in Egypt for some 400 years. And after God miraculously delivered them, they wandered in a barren wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation died off. When they eventually entered the land that God had promised them, they had to fight to gain every square foot of it and to continue to fight to protect what they had gained. After several hundred years, civil war divided the nation. The northern kingdom eventually was almost decimated by Assyria, with the remnant being taken captive into that country. Later, the southern kingdom was conquered, and it was exiled 
in Babylon for 70 years, after which some were allowed to return to Palestine. Not long after they rebuilt their homeland, this is after they came back, they're coming back from Babylon, right? They started rebuilding. Not long after that, they were conquered by Greece. And the despotic Antiochus Epiphanes reveled in desecrating their temple, corrupting their sacrifices and slaughtering their priests. Under Roman rule, it didn't fare much better. Tens of thousands of Jewish rebels were publicly crucified. And under Herod the Great, scores of male Jewish babies were slaughtered because of his insane jealousy for the Christ child. In the year 70 AD, we mentioned this this morning, Titus, General, uh, uh, Titus Vespasian, he carried out Caesar's order to utterly destroy Jerusalem, its temple, and most of its citizens. According to Josephus, if you don't know who he is, Josephus is a first century Jewish historian. Okay? According to Josephus, over a million Jews of all ages were mercilessly butchered And some 100,000 of those who survived were sold into slavery and they were sent to Rome to die in the gladiator games. Two years previously, Gentiles in Caesarea had killed 20,000 Jews and sold many into slavery. During that same time period, the inhabitants of Damascus cut the throats of 10,000 Jews in one day. In 115 AD, the The Jews of Cyrene and Egypt and Cyprus and Mesopotamia, they rebelled, rebelled against Rome. When they failed, Emperor Hadrian destroyed 985 towns in Palestine, killing at least 600,000 Jewish men. Thousands more perished from starvation and disease. So many Jews were sold into slavery that the price of an able-bodied male the price of an able-bodied male slave dropped to that of a horse. In the year 380, Emperor Theodosius I formulated a legal code that declared Jews to be an inferior race of human beings, a demonic idea that strongly permeated most of Europe for over a thousand years and that even priests in many parts of the world today still have that. For some two centuries, the Jews were oppressed by the Byzantine branch of the divided Roman Empire. Emperor Heraclitus banished them from Jerusalem in 628 and later tried to exterminate them. Leo the Assyrian gave them the choice of converting to Christianity or being banished out of the realm. When the first crusade was launched in 1096, To recapture the Holy Land from the Ottoman Turks, the Crusaders slaughtered countless thousands of Jews on their way to Palestine, brutally trampling many of them to death under the horse's hooves. That carnage, of course, was committed in the name of Christianity. In 1254, King Louis IX banished all Jews from France. When many later returned to the country, Philip the Fair expelled 100,000 of them in 1306. In 1492, the Jews were expelled from Spain even as Columbus began his voyage across the Atlantic. And four years later, they were expelled from Portugal 
Soon, most of Western Europe was closed to the Jews, except for a few in northern Italy, Germany, and Poland. That was it. Although the French Revolution emancipated many Jews, vicious anti-Semitism continued to dominate most of Europe and parts of Russia. Thousands of Jews were massacred in the Ukraine in 1818. In 1894, because of growing anti-Semitism in the French army, a Jewish officer named Dreyfus was falsely accused of treason, and that charge was used as an excuse to purge the military of the Jews. When a number of influential Jews began to dream of reestablishing a homeland in Palestine, the Zionist movement was born. Its first Congress convened in Basel, Switzerland in 1897. In by 1914, some 90,000 Jews had actually come back and settled in Palestine. As we enter our most recent history, sadly, 30 years after that, the unparalleled Nazi Holocaust of the early 1940s massacred 6 million Jews, absolutely exterminated. And this time it was for racial rather than religious reasons. Although in our society, anti-Semitism is seldom expressed so openly, Jews in many parts of the world still suffer today for no other reason than their Jewishness. From the purely historical perspective, therefore, Jews have been among the most continuously and harshly disadvantaged people of all time. Unquote. I told you that was a long quote. There's a lot of history there. And you know, still today, I watched and was reading just like two days ago, anti-Semitism is on the rise in the United States. Again. Again. So from us, folks, after reading all of that, from the viewpoint of the 21st century, right, you might say, no, there's really no advantage of being a Jew. <laughs> you look at their history, it is outrageous what happened, what they've been going through since the beginning. As a believer, understanding the importance of God's preservation of his people, after all of the ugliness, after all the hardship, after all the suffering throughout Jewish history, we know that it was nothing less than a miracle of God for him to preserve his people who have been persecuted but never erased. Never Matter of fact, for those of us guys who are going through Esther, we see that was also another attempt, but it didn't happen, did it? It didn't happen. Israel still stands today. The Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, came. He died and he rose again, fulfilling the reason for his coming. You and I, as you know, are the recipients, the beneficiaries of all this, the greatest gift of all, and that would be our salvation. And it came through Jesus Christ, a Jew whose line Satan attempted to cut off many times. But yet, it was preserved to fulfill the scriptures. God would not allow it to happen. And in the future, I believe that God still has a plan for Israel, for true Israel. He still has a plan. All of that, all that being said, 
Let's go back to verse 1. Paul asked the question that he knows what they're, he knows they're thinking this. Okay? He knows they're thinking it. So, but, uh, Paul, you just told us all this stuff. It's making me think. So what advantage is there in being a Jew? What's the deal? What, what's the advantage of, of circumcision then? If, if you're telling us all this stuff, if I don't have any spiritual security, if I'm not heaven bound, what's, what's, what's the big deal? Now remember, folks, they had lived their entire lives thinking that they had won the spiritual lottery, right? And Paul comes along and, and Paul says, well, not so fast. Now that doesn't mean it was worthless, obviously, because as you know, they were blessed. The Jews were blessed in many ways. They knew what the scriptures wrote about them, right? I mean, they got a book detailing their entire history. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, he says, even you, me talking to the Jews, above all peoples, above all people. Four, verse, four chapters later, Deuteronomy 14, verse 2, the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. And folks, there are numerous verses just like this. I'll just read one more, very short, from the psalm. Psalm 135, verse 4. The Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. Listen, they knew where they stood with God and being called, or I should say being his called people. They knew this. But they misinterpreted that to thinking that they had a free trip to glory simply because they were card-carrying Jews. Matter of fact, John the Baptist dealt with this, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Many of you probably know this. When John was out baptizing, remember the groups, they came up, they came up to John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. They walked up, and John the Baptist looks at them, and he says, you brood of vipers. Obviously, a little division between those people. <laughs> you brood of vipers, he says. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? In their minds, that wrath was for the Gentiles. It wasn't for them. Who warns you to flee the coming wrath, he says. And then he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Right? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, right? He tells these, these spiritual leaders, these Jewish leaders, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you're telling me you've repented, let's see it. He didn't really have a lot of trust for him. And then he says this, listen. And do not think that you can tell yourselves we have Abraham as our father. Don't you dare, he says, think that you can say that. Because he knew that's what they believed. We're Jews. We don't need this. We have Abraham as our father. He says, don't you dare. Don't even go there. 
They failed to see that being a physical descendant did not make them a spiritual descendant, right? Hebrews 11, Abraham lived by what? Faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, listen, he says, consider Abraham. And he's trying to reteach this to the, Gentile, uh, to, uh, to the Galatians because they had been lied to. He says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Sometimes you want to look at things like that and say what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he, uh, he obeyed the law and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was circumcised and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say all those things. It says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, he says, that those who believe are children of Abraham. Are you kidding? Wow, get that. Not physical descendants, but spiritual. If you believe, you are a child of Abraham. And so the Jews, including those that Paul is speaking to here, they're confused. Paul had just got through talking to them, popping their bubble, and basically saying, what you believe is not true. Chapter 2 just laid it out. That's not true. That's not right. You don't have eternal security. That's not doing you any good without obeying the law. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. Can you imagine how it rocked their world? They've believed this for how many thousands of years? So what, what is true? What is the benefit of being a Jew then? Paul goes to answer that in verse 2, but I want you to know that he's not going to go in depth. Okay, He'll do that actually later in Romans chapter 9. He's going to dig in a little bit deeper. I'm going to read this for you. I've read it to you before, but this is the actual context which fits with the the verse. Okay? What is the benefit of being a Jew then? Listen to what he says in Romans 9, verses 3 through 5. Actually, I'll start reading in verse 2. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed, I was cut off, that I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Listen to what he says. Theirs, speaking of the people of Israel, the Jews, theirs is the adoption as sons. That's them. They were adopted as sons. Theirs is the divine glory. The covenants. They received the covenants. They received the law. They have the temple worship. They have all the promises, he says. Verse 5, theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Jesus Christ who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Wow. There's no question, folks, listen to me, there's no question that the Jews were special people. All those things he just said. Okay? No one else, no one received all of this. Not one Gentile nation had any of those privileges. Not even one. But that being said, As Paul had already discussed, it did not include salvation. See, biggest part where they went astray. It did not include salvation. It will not, 
those things will not protect them from judgment. So what did Paul say in verse 2? What is the advantage of being a Jew? He says, much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. Now, the fact that Paul only mentions one thing here, a couple things. Number one, he says, what is the advantage? Much, much in every way. And then he says, only one thing. But he also uses the words, first of all. Did you get all that? That simply means that if anything, what I read to you in in chapter 9 is really going to be his continuation of what he says here. Okay? You can't use the word, oh, there's all kinds of things that you're blessed with. And then he says, first of all, if you say first of all, there's got to be a second of all, (laughs) and so forth. But it doesn't come up until what I just read to you in Romans chapter 9. Okay? So he says there's a, there's a lot of benefit. There's a much benefit. But I want you to know, he only mentions one thing here. Okay, He mentions just the one thing. So what does he mention? He mentions that Israel, the Jews, were entrusted with the high honor of the entire revelation of God at that point. The Jews alone received the entire revelation of God at that point. The entire Old Testament scripture was committed to Israel's care. Folks, I don't think you understand how amazing that is. You and me today, we don't understand how blessed we are. We have the entire scriptures. We can get it in a hundred different translations. We can buy it online. We can run down to the store. We can get a hardback paper. It doesn't matter. It's everywhere. At this point, there was only the Old Testament And only them, nobody else had it. Huh. God gave it under Israel's care. And by the way, there's a reason I think he gave gave them this first, in front of what he says in chapter 9. A bunch of things that are obviously very important that I read to you in chapter 9, but first, he said he gave them God's word. Or as Murray says, God's speech. This is why he gave this first. This is the most important thing he can mention right now. All those other things are very important, but there's nothing more important than the words of God, God's speech. It it is truly, thus says the Lord. If I walk up to you and said, God wrote this, Almighty God, and only you have it. Wow, wow. That's pretty amazing, especially as a Jew, right? There's a reason this is characterized as a privilege. See, the Word of God tells them, the Old Old Testament, this is the Old Testament this time, the Word of God tells them of the God who created them. He explains all of creation. It talks about his power. God talks about himself. It talks about his power. It talks about his wisdom. It talks about his character. The Old Testament scriptures gave them God's promises, not just in the present then, but also in the future. It gave them and them only no other nation existing on the planet. 
God's holy standards to live by. No one else had that. It actually tells them of the redemption of man. It gives a promise of God's coming Messiah. They, the Jews, above all mankind, were given this great treasure that no one had. It is one of the blessings, if not the greatest blessing, of being called God's people. Top of the list, God gave you his word. It's, it's, it's like saying, I'm going to give you, I mean, at, at the length of the Old Testament, it's like God saying, we're going to meet with God and we're going to have a conversation and God's going to tell you all these things. And he, and he starts quoting the entire Old Testament. And somebody wrote it down and said, here, only you can have this. That's an amazing thing. Is there an advantage to being a Jew? Absolutely, Paul says. But it's not necessarily everything you think it is, but absolutely it is. And number one is the Word of God. Let me, let me just, I'm just going to close here today. Let me um, read for you Psalm, um, Psalm 19. Yeah, Psalm 19. Many of you, I'm sure, know this. But it's just a, just such a great passage. Now in this, whenever the psalmist uses words like law, statutes, precepts, all those kinds of things, he's talking about the word of God, okay? So it's just easier to let you know that. And what this does, he says what the word of God is and what the word of God does. Starting in verse 7, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord, that's the word of God, is perfect. What does it do? It revives the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They make wise the simple. They make the simple wise. The precepts of the Lord, the word of God is right. It gives joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Think about that. The word of God is radiant. It gives light to the eyes, right? It's a lamp unto my feet, a light for my path, right? The fear of the Lord is pure. God's word teaches us to fear him. It is enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. I like this. Confidence. The word of God is sure. It is altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. How many of us understand what we have in the very word of God? Back then, the psalmist, that was talking about what they had at the time. As far as Scripture was concerned, we have, we, have the com- we have the completed canon of Scripture today. Okay, God's not writing anything else. He's not telling other people, thus says the Lord, God told me, which a lot of people like to walk. That's the biggest thing today. God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. Really? It's not in Scripture. So uh, I don't believe it. Okay? 
That being said, God has blessed us with everything he wanted us to have, the entire word of God, and we can see how awesome it is. And we can see how even for the Jews who didn't have the New Testament at that time were blessed by saying, what advantage is there? Are you kidding me? If that was all there was, God gave you and you alone, the only nation, his word, his plan for redemption, his laws, the future, he's laid it out for you and he didn't give it to anybody else. That in itself is a pretty amazing feat. And of course, we will continue to look at the rest next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can uh, go through this passage, and thank you that we can see how Paul uh, is sharing with these Jews in the church who've never had uh, teaching by an apostle, and yet Paul has to write them, but yet he uses this opportunity to correct them. There's nothing worse than having a, a bad soteriology, misunderstanding salvation. And Lord, thank you that I know on their behalf that Paul was able to correct them all those years ago, and I hope it still corrects people today to, to understand the outward is not pleasing to you. Any kind of ritual, I did this, I, I worked at this soup kitchen, I crossed my heart, I read these, prayed with these beads, I repeated the words of somebody, and I, it doesn't matter, you can, thousands of things. Those things don't somehow wipe away our sin. They don't give us a free ride into the glory of heaven. And so, Lord, uh, as we see from Paul, he's able to share the truth. And as we'll notice soon as we reach the middle of this book, uh, the gospel becomes clear. This is how you are saved. You're not righteous in and of yourself. It's through Christ. Lord, thank you for helping us to see that. And, Lord, even today as, as he shares with us the greatness of being gifted your word. And today we have been blessed as well, more blessed than anybody. And help us, Lord, to realize that. Help us to not to look at this as some religious book that we grab real quick when we run to church. It is the very word of God. It is reliable. It is sure. It is radiant. It is all those things. And I would just boil it down to say it'll change the very heart of man. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. We thank you that we have it today to have in our very hands and help us to realize how precious that is. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.